going to be a long sit on that stool if you. <laughs> I'm about to preach. <laughs> I don't mind you sitting up here. going to say I didn't know those things were that comfortable. <clears throat> we are back in Ecclesiastes this morning. We are, if you're new to Grace Church, we are studying through the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, we are approximately halfway through. We're in chapter 7 and uh, we're going to be looking at um, verses 15 through 20. I wanted to pick up and read <clears throat> Just 14 through 20. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 14 through 20. This is God's word. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything. That will be after him. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. May your spirit take your word and apply it to our hearts. May you lift high your son. May you draw all kinds of people to yourself. May you grow us in grace with your word. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Help us to hear it in the power of the Holy Spirit of God as God's word. Save your people, Lord. Bring some to initial faith and repentance through the preaching of your word. Bring others to growing faith and repentance as, we, as those of us who are your children. Save and sanctify your people. Build your kingdom. Accomplish your purpose. This is your word. You promise to use it for your glory. So we pray into that and trust for it and give you all the praise and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You got a nice white dress and a party on your confirmation. You got a brand new soul mm, and a cross of gold. But Virginia, they didn't give you quite enough information. You didn't count on me. 
When you were counting on your rosary, oh, whoa, whoa. They say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. I tell you, only the good die young. Only the good die young. That eminent theologian, Billy Joel, only the good die young. He even admitted himself that is not as much an anti-Catholic anthem as it is a pro-lust anthem. Nice, huh? It's the way sinners feel, though. Rather laugh with sinners than cry with saints. Sinners are more fun. I can remember when I thought that. But the point there, what's being cried out by the song, is only the good die young. You hear that in various forms. The good, the good die young. Well, see, today we're back in Ecclesiastes, and if you, I'm sure you've already noticed that we're going through these cycles when it comes to wisdom. And sometimes we're seeing the benefit of wisdom, and other times we're seeing the challenge of wisdom. We're seeing the superiority of God's wisdom and the insufficiency of man's wisdom. And one of the things that Solomon is trying to get through to us is that this is a fallen world. There will be a lot of suffering and distress and struggle here. And sometimes life is not going to make sense to you, especially if you limit your vision, what he calls below the sun. So when he says everything is vanity, all is vanity, everything under the sun is vanity, he's not saying futile, he's saying temporary, insufficient, not able to sustain your joy, not able to answer all of your questions. What you need to do, and we see this in the end of the book and we'll see it in this text, is look above the sun to the God who is and who reigns and who will judge. Look to Him. And even then we don't get all of our questions answered, do we? We get sufficient wisdom to walk through the struggle in faith, but we don't get all of our questions answered here. Mostly, I guess, to some extent, because we couldn't understand the answer if he gave it to us, probably. But today is one of those sections where Solomon begins to wrestle with, with things that don't make sense again. It's a little bit like, at, at some points, it's like preaching through the book of Proverbs. It's a challenge. And it's a challenge not to preach the same sermon over and over. And it's a challenge not to just take and preach one big sermon and try to bring all this stuff into it. But hopefully, Lord willing, as I agonize over these texts and think I, I have some clarity, um, hopefully it's beneficial to you. But today I titled this sermon, When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And we're looking at, at verses 15 to 20. So we're, we're turning from a section that, that is comparing wisdom and folly and showing the benefits of true wisdom. And now we're looking at some things that human wisdom can't answer. Some things that seem wrong sometimes. Some of the inequities of life. And I know we've talked about this a little bit before. But hopefully we come at it from a different angle when we, we see these cycles. How to have faith in confusing times. So we get a little bit of that answer from this text. So main thing I want you to carry away is expect life to go sideways sometimes. And I didn't put a mite in there. I didn't say maybe life will go sideways sometimes. 
Because Jesus doesn't say maybe life will go sideways sometimes, right? He says in this world, not you might have trouble, but you will. Trouble in your life, trouble understanding, times when you just need to run to the throne of grace and cry. And wait. Expect life to go sideways sometimes and continue to trust and obey when it does. And hopefully as we get to the end of this, we'll give you sufficient reason to continue to trust and obey. But look first where he starts, and I, I titled this, uh, this section, The Fact of Living in Confusing Times, from verse 15. And this, <clears throat> this is a challenging text. It's a challenging text. If you read your translations, you'll see a little bit of difference between translations as to how to translate this, because it's challenging. The, you know, bringing the Hebrew to English, understanding what it's saying and bringing it into the English is a little challenging. Not, not so much 15th verse, but as we see when we get to 16 and 17, I'll point out some differences there too. But I'm going to be pointing you again to the Net Bible. There's good notes in the Net Bible. And I think in their translation of this section, they, they did a, a good job with it. But the fact of living in confusing times. In, in the ESV it says, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his, wi his wife, his life, in evil doing. Listen, look at the, how the Net Bible translates this, and there's reasons for this I won't go into. There's some similarity with the NIV when we get there. Um, and just step back for a minute. Your translations of the Bible, you may have different ones, NAS, NIV, King James, ESV. At certain times, a particular translation is going to get things better than other translations. There's no perfect translation. No, I'm, the King James is not a perfect translation. And the, the people who translated it said so, but some people are confused about that. No, Paul didn't carry it around. <laughs> Right? But we have a lot of translations so we can compare and we can get to the truth and we have everything we need for life and godliness and the light is getting greater the more we move along through research. And So anyway, but listen to how the Net Bible translates 715. And I think this not only makes more sense to us, but I think it's doing a good job with the original text. But notice how it's, it's a little bit different here. Uh, during the days of my fleeting life, Translating vain and fleeting and temporary, right? During my days, I have seen both of these things. Now, NIV takes that tack too, and it's for reasons in the original language I won't go into. I have seen both of these things. Sometimes, much better, sometimes a righteous person dies prematurely. I'm not really a fan of that word here, but it's there. A righteous person, as we think of things, a righteous person dies prematurely in spite of his righteousness. And sometimes a wicked person lives long in spite of his evil deeds. It is true. They are dirty old men. Uh, <laughs> and women. And boys and girls. But see, we don't always get the quick payoff in this life. We don't always, judgment doesn't, aren't you glad? Judgment doesn't always immediately fall when we sin. But sometimes life seems to flip. Sometimes it seems to go sideways. Sometimes seems, things seem to happen that shouldn't happen. 
And, and big picture, we know that sin brings misery. And if there wasn't sin in the picture, if this was the new heavens and the new earth or the Garden of Eden before the fall, a lot of the misery wouldn't happen because sin wouldn't have infected the people and there wouldn't be any reason for judgment. But that's not where we live. Really what he's saying in verse 15 is life is not always fair. Life isn't always fair. And he starts it, and it's true here, and it's true here in this translation. You'll see in verse 15, it says, There is a righteous man. If you look in verse 20, it says, There is not a righteous man. What's the point? Externally, comparatively, certainly people are nicer, kinder, better than others, right? And when we look on a person, you, say, you might say that man would, or that woman would give you the shirt off their back. That's what we kind of mean. The Bible recognizes a generally good person. But really when it comes down to it, verse 20 is right. There's not a righteous person. So that will come into play. But Solomon is saying, in a fallen world, sometimes the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to lose. I hope you've noticed that. I hope you've noticed that that's the way it works here sometimes. Sometimes the righteous suffer the most. And the wicked, remember Psalm 73, I just read it. The psalmist was struggling because he looks and he's like, you know, the people who, are, who, are, who care nothing for God, who are just pursuing riches, seem to be the ones for the most part that are succeeding. And this is causing me to struggle because, man, why am I going through all this trouble and struggle trying to follow the Lord and His commandments, and they're getting the payoff. And so he had that confusion until he thought higher and better, until he thought where Solomon is taking us, that there is a God who's reigning, and there is a day of judgment coming. And we need to be ready for that. Just because a person is blessed materially doesn't mean they're good with God. Or in a good place. Well, I must be living right because look. Jesus wasn't saying that on the cross. In this world, in this fallen world, sometimes the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to lose. Read autobiographies, read biographies. You'll see that some of the, some of the people closest to God seemingly, just from what we can tell, some of the more, more righteous people, as we some of the famous preachers and things like that, suffered horribly with various things. Hymn writers who suffered terribly with depression, you know, Spurgeon and his gout, and on down the list we could go. Looking on the externals and looking just under the sun, this life won't make a heck of a lot of sense to you, even if you're a Christian. Because we need a higher view. And see, this, this is a stumbling block to the Old Testament Jew who, in, in covenant, generally speaking, obedience to God's law would bring blessing and long life and wickedness would result in judgment. Generally speaking, true, but that doesn't mean always true. If you, if you read Proverbs and see Proverbs in wisdom literature, if you read that and see it as blanket promises, it's going to make life more confusing for you because it doesn't always work out. Those are general aphorisms, general truths, right? The, the righteous don't always 
experience blessing and long life, and the wicked, the wicked don't always experience judgment and short life. That was the assumption of Job's counselors, wasn't it? Those guys were doing great until they started to talk. They were doing great. They were there with Him in His suffering and you know, trying to minister to Him. But then they started saying things like, if you hadn't sinned, this wouldn't have happened. You a sinner and you need to repent. This wouldn't happen to you. And God had already bragged on him. He's the most righteous person around. But to see, they made an assumption that because that was generally true, that it was always true. And therefore, Job must have sinned. Not all the trouble that comes into your life is a result of your sin. Solomon is highlighting anomalies. He's highlighting things that don't line up with expectations. See, we want A plus B to equal C. Mathematically works. You know, life doesn't operate by mathematical principle. Let me tell you, sometimes A plus B equals Z. It just doesn't conclude the way logically it should conclude and the way we think it should conclude a lot of times. Think about Joseph. Now, Joseph may not have been the wisest young man who shared all of the dreams he'd had with his brothers, but God had given him dreams and made him promises. And he was going to be ruler, and his brothers were going to bow down to him, and certain things were going to happen. But boy, that was a twisted road to get there, wasn't it? Joseph was righteous. You can see it when he's tempted in the, in the trail, in the path, and accused of rape. He didn't do it. He was faithful to God. But he ended up being sold into slavery and then being put in jail. And it was a long time. It wasn't just a month. Things did, just looking at snapshots of his life, righteous man in the bottom of the jail. Righteous man sold into slavery, lied about. It happened. Yes, God meant it for good, but His brothers meant it for evil. And a sovereign God was in control. But that sovereign God took Joseph through some very confusing times down that road. How about Christians today who are loving and seeking to worship and following Jesus who are being killed and persecuted at record levels. See, we're pretty sheltered. Even with all the mess that's going on here, we're pretty sheltered. How about you personally? When you, <clears throat> at least as far as you can tell, you, you've, you've done everything right. You're following after Christ. You're seeking to honor Him in your life. And you, you lose your job. Or your car breaks. Or, you know, you, you lay, name the calamity. Financial trouble. A loved one dies unexpectedly. I think about Tim Challies, a righteous man. If you're not familiar with Challies and his blog and how he reviews books, and really good. But uh, recently his son just died. Just fell dead at college while playing. And so he's been real honest about the hard, how hard it's been to walk through that. See, in a fallen world, sometimes A plus B equals Z. Sometimes we don't get what we expect. Sometimes the righteous really suffer and the wicked really prosper. 
And that doesn't mean the wicked's doing the right thing and the righteous are doing the wrong thing. It's just part of the mystery of this life. Think of Jesus on the cross. Not a fun day. Not only enduring the most horrible physical death ever, but taking the wrath of God for the sins of His people. See, sometimes life seems to go completely sideways. It can even look and feel as if there is no God, and if there is, He doesn't care. Because what we are naturally by default focused on is things going well, us being comfortable, not having a lot of trouble. The gospel has to shift our minds so that we count it all joy when we fall into trouble because we know He is in control and working out Christ's likeness in us. But sometimes life is going to go completely sideways. Like this verse, Solomon says, I have seen the righteous die early. And I've seen the wicked live to be really old. And just looking at it under the sun, that makes no sense. Just like the psalmist. What am I doing struggling to follow you and keep your commands? This is the payoff. Well, it's not the payoff. It's just the road. And He's with you in it. He's with you in it. But the fact is, and God doesn't take this away, and He promises, He doesn't promise to remove all the troubles from our life. In fact, He promises to take us through troubles, to glorify His name and to grow us in grace. And when we go through hardships, we're tempted. We're tempted. When life gets hard, we're tempted to doubt God, to accuse God, to, you know, reject God and betray God and and think bad thoughts, even if that's as far as we take it. And see, that's where Solomon takes us now. This is the temptations of living, and these are representative. It's not an exhaustive list, but the temptations of living in confusing times. So he said, listen, I've seen things when things go upside down. It happens. And I'm here to tell you it happens. Now, he says something in 16 and 17 that has been really badly misunderstood. So what you need to do is you just need to have a balance of both in your life. A little bit of righteousness and a little bit of wickedness. And that's not what these verses are teaching. But it's, you know, it's a difficult section. And if you read anybody in any commentaries over it, they're going to tell you it's different. I've worked really hard this week and struggled a lot to try to come to what these verses are actually saying. And uh, so I want to try, to try to help you with that. But there's a couple of temptations listed here that when... First is just sort of this general expectation. We're tempted toward this general expectation every day. And then we struggle when it doesn't happen when times of trouble hit. And then uh, another especially temptation that we face in trouble. But look, look, our daily temptation as well as when we have trouble in verse 16. See, this temptation is trusting your own righteousness and wisdom. Every day you get up trusting your own righteousness and wisdom if you're not careful, if we forget the gospel, right? I deserve good today. Things will go the way I think they should go. The way that makes sense today. All of that kind of thing. He says this, Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? 
We overestimate our own righteousness. Listen, just boil it down. I am being good, so I deserve good. I'm being good, so I deserve good. Or believing something like, if I live right, things will go well. Things will fall out in a way that makes sense to me. Something's wrong when they don't. When things fall out in a way that doesn't make sense with me, to me, something is wrong. That's not true. Start the verse. What is a righteous man? In verse, verse 16, verse 15. There is a righteous man. Uh, now, be not overly righteous. What is he saying? Well, the Net Bible helps us again. So do not be excessively righteous or excessively wise, otherwise you might be disappointed. I like that. You're going to cause yourself mental stress if you think that you are more righteous than you are. If you think that you are being good so you will get good, or if you're good, you'll get good. If I just get up and have my quiet time and pray and maybe give to church or go to church, things are going to go well. Mm -mm. We're tempted to overestimate our own righteousness and what we deserve. And we're tempted to walk in our own, quote, wisdom. And we shouldn't do that. We better be looking above the sun. We better be walking in His wisdom. Be not wise in your own eyes, the Word says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. He will direct you. He will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death in the paths of righteousness. Be, when it says be not overly righteous, it's talking about don't overestimate your righteousness. It's not saying just be a little righteous. Follow, follow Jesus just a little bit, but hedge it. Right? Sort of sway your, swing yourself somewhere in the middle between righteousness and wickedness and then you'll be happy. None of that is what this verse is teaching. You can't make yourself too wise, but you can certainly overestimate your wisdom and overestimate your righteousness and overestimate what you deserve. See, the temptation he's, he's warning us against here is don't be overly self-confident. Because life is not going to play out the way you think it should. And so when an ESV says, why destroy yourself, think mentally. Think of the struggle and the trouble that happens when you think, you know, I've been good and so things should be good and the car breaks down. Fill in another trouble if you want to. And how you struggle with I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening. I can't believe, you know, how we talk to ourselves instead of speaking truth to ourselves. God must not love me. If he did, just stop. When you hear that going in your mind, you don't always have, just stop it. Interrupt it with the gospel. We'll talk more about that later. 
But He's warning us against self-sufficiency, against thinking we can be good enough so we deserve good, against thinking life is going to play out according to how I behave. Don't overestimate your own righteousness and what you deserve. Don't think something's wrong necessarily when life goes sideways or you will be disappointed. And then verse 17, in trouble. What are we tempted to do in trouble when things are not going our way? We've done the best, I've done the best I can. I tried, right? And things don't go our way. We're tempted to just throw, it, throw in the, the baby and the bathwater. Oh, it doesn't work. Not worth all the trouble. That's kind of what the psalmist was thinking for a while. Right? Verse 17. Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? They were tempted to throw in the towel, to stop trying, to, oh, forget about it. Listen, if you're not reading your Bible and you start reading your Bible with us, guess what? It's not going to be easy because you're trying to establish a new habit. And if you try for three or four days and you get two chapters behind and you just say, ah, go to the gym starting this week and watch all the people that start coming in the gym looking for that six-week quick fix, Right? She worked there for a while. And in five or six weeks, you couldn't find 75% of them with a, with a search team. Because it doesn't work. It's not easy. It's hard. It hurts. I just want to take a pill. A lot of pills they'll sell you. And you'll lose weight in your wallet. Don't just give in to wickedness because life is difficult. Because when it's hard, we're tempted to doubt God. We're tempted to reject God and reject His ways. We're tempted to turn to the flesh and the world, to food or alcohol or you name the, the, the wrong places we seek comfort. I'm not saying it's wrong to eat. Or have a glass of wine with your meal or what that. But if you're looking for, if that's how you're medicating yourself and that's where you're looking for comfort or just to help you forget, danger flags should be flying all over the place. Oh, since doing the right thing doesn't work, I'll just do what feels right. All right. Kind of like the old Fram oil filter. You can pay them now or you can pay them later. Joseph didn't think this way, even in the midst of the trouble. Jesus didn't think this way. And Jesus teaches His church not to think this way. He promises us tough times are coming. And He tells us He's overcome the world for us. And He tells us to even have good cheer. Count it all joy when you fall into various difficulties or trials, James said. Rejoice in your suffering, Paul says in 5 verse 3. Not question God in the midst of it. Why? Because He's in control and He's working out His, his, 
his plan. And that a lot of that will come through tears and you might never understand in this life. And you might just have to say, God, I trust you. I don't get it. But don't be overly righteous in general. Don't expect if I do good, things will happen good. Don't be overly wicked. Don't turn to sin when, when trouble hits. The last section, the strategy, verses 18 through 20. Here's a little strategy for living uh, in confusing times. Verse 18. It is good that you, you should take hold of this and from that not withhold your hand. Right? Just keep both of those things in mind. Don't have false expectations and don't knee jerk against God when life is hard. Understand those things. For the, the, now this tells me, this, this right here, when you're, struggling, when you're struggling with reading your Bible and understanding your Bible, first, if you're going to start a reading program, be okay with not understanding everything. That's the rest of your life. You're just picking up a bit here and there as you go and you'll read it more than one time. But when you're studying the Bible and you come across a verse that doesn't make sense and is cloudy to you, you let the clear interpret the cloudy, right? And context. Here's how I know for sure he's not saying, well, just be a little righteous and a little wicked and everything will turn out okay. Verse 18, he says, For the one who fears God shall come out of both of them. The one who fears God will avoid both of those things. Thinking if I'm good, I'll, it'll be good and, and turning to against God when things go bad. The one who fears God comes out of both. The one who fears God looks above the sun. The one who fears God loves and delights and trusts in Him and believes Him and seeks to walk His way no matter what happens. The one who fears God will come out of both of them. In other words, here's the first strategy. Be God-centered. Be God-centered. Be God first. In your life, be God first. The gospel should make us God first. What is the chief end of man? Glorify God. Enjoy Him forever. Focus on Him. See, we were willing to receive Jesus taking hell for us. We're good with that. But we're not willing to go through hell for Him. And thankfully, we don't have to face the wrath of God because He's faced it for us. But he, now He says, trust me. I'm telling you the truth. Life's going to be filled with trouble. But walk with me and I will take you through it. I have overcome it for you. Be God-centered. Fear God. That's such a... Think of a diamond. You've seen diamonds and how multifaceted they are. The fear of God is like that. Fear of God means that we reverence Him, that we hold, that we're in awe of Him, that we love Him and trust Him and delight in Him and obey Him. And I mean, we could go on and on. It's, I, someday maybe we'll do a sermon series on the fear of God. But basically it means the one who really has come to trust Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who delights in Him and loves Him and wants to live in a way that glorifies Him. Who has as their aim the glory of God no matter what happens. The one who fears Him is well suited to walk through these difficulties where the righteous perish and the wicked live long and whatever else the thing is that don't make sense. The one who fears God will heed both warnings. See, His point 
is not that people live their lives in some sort of balance between righteousness and wickedness. Because he urges the fear of God, devotion to God. The proper fear of God will prevent a person from trusting in their own righteousness and wisdom. And it will also prevent them from indulging in wickedness and folly in response to trial. Look in chapter 8. He touches on a similar vein here in chapter 8 in verses 11 through 13. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of men is fully set to do evil. Presumption takes hold, doesn't it? Because God doesn't immediately, boom, judge sin. Right? And His goodness is supposed to lead us toward repentance, Paul says in Romans chapter 3. But if we're presuming upon Him, we will see you know, His goodness. He doesn't immediately thunder on us against our sin, so we, we in some twisted way of thinking think He's okay with it. Because the sentence against evil is not ex executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and doesn't die, prolongs his life, yet I know, look what he knows, it will be well for those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. He will not survive the judgment. See, that's where the psalmist went. Is I looked then to your throne and to the judgment day and realized the slippery place they live in and realized the blessed place I live in and things made better sense. Those who fear, those who trust God in His sovereign ordering of life in this world, even when it hurts and even when we cry and even when we don't get it, and those who turn from wickedness, even when life is confusing, are those in whom He's at work, nurturing and sustaining and growing that trust and love for Him and dependence upon Him. God works in us to put Him first, even when life is difficult. Another strategy, number two, His wisdom is profitable, even when it doesn't answer all of our questions. Verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. It's profitable. Trust Him. Find the wisdom of His Word and hold on to it. He will guide you, even through the deep and stormy waters as you lay hold of Him. Now again, you won't have detailed answers to all of your difficulties and questions, but you'll have sufficient answers. Think about Job. Job asked why. What did Job get in response? Who? God didn't answer all of Job's questions, but God more fully revealed to Job who He was. And at the end of that process, Job said, Put his hand over his mouth. Or the old black preacher said, God put him in a shut up. The answer to walking by faith in all of our struggles is the knowledge of God and who He is and who He is for us and what His wisdom is for us. And we've talked about that a lot and we'll talk about it some more, so I won't spend a lot of time on that. Now, here's proper expectations. So, the answer to, to walking in faith is to be God-centered, 
Therefore, to feed upon His wisdom, and here we go, this is related, have good theology. Verse 20. You need, if you're going to walk by faith and not by sight, if you're going to walk by faith and not go crazy in the midst of this world, following Him and things flying off the, off, off the handle, realize this. See, we started in verse 15 with a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And that should really ask us to say, well, who is a righteous man? And there's only ever been one. There's only ever been one. And look what Solomon says in the midst of this to set our priorities right, to help us realize some things. Have good theology. And he says, here relating to who man is, surely there is not a righteous man, women that doesn't leave you off the hook, men, women, boys, and girls, there's not a righteous person on earth who does good and never sins. There's not a righteous person on earth who, you could put always, who always do, does good and never sins. There's not one. None are good. No, not one, Paul says in Romans 3. None seek God, not the true God, without Him seeking them. Not one. There is not a righteous person on earth who does good and never sins. What does that mean? All fall short. All deserve condemnation. All deserve nothing good. Man, if I get there, if I get my feet planted there, even as His child, I deserve nothing good from Him. He's given me His Son. He promised me all things necessary for life and godliness. But I can't say, God, I have lived good this day and You shouldn't have done this in my life. So among His people, there's none who always do good and never sin and certainly the wicked in the world. There is not a righteous person on earth then, now, and every other time. Romans, Paul, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The soul that sins shall die, this physical and spiritual death. There is not a righteous person on earth. None have kept His law. Not even the best of us. What does it mean to keep His law? In thought, word, and deed. Always think the right thing, never think the wrong thing. Always say the right thing, never say the wrong thing. Always do the right thing, never do the wrong thing. All out of love for God, with a desire to glorify Him, empowered by the Spirit, according to the Word. Come on now. None of us have even done that today. What's the outflow of that? Nobody deserves anything good from God. We all deserve wrath. Every breath, every moment, every blessing is mercy. Yes, even to His children. So I am not good enough to deserve good. I'm not good enough to have no confusion in my life. I'm not good enough to have it all good. And the good that I experience is from His hand as well as the struggle. And He is turning even the bad things and using them for good if I'm His child. And He will bring me through and make me like His Son. But a lot of that will come through confusing hard times. Life will confuse us at times. And we better have a sound theology that helps us rightly interpret life. And you know how you start to get a sound theology? You read God's Word. I, I mean, if you didn't listen to last week's sermon, please go back and listen to it. If you're not abiding in His Word, you're not His disciple. There's not a special category for you. 
You want life to be really freak out, confusing? Don't read His Word. Just listen to the History Channel interpret it for you. Or Discovery. Please don't pay attention to the crap that's on those channels when like Easter comes and Christmas. Mm. The last thing I want to mention about verse 20 is what it teaches us is that we all need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We don't wash away sin by being good enough. We're just trying to solve sin with sin because all of our righteous deeds, Isaiah says, are filthy rags. What we need is a Savior. What we need to do is look to the cross. What we need to do is look to Jesus and find life. And we, if we do, we'll see that in His Son, God has dealt with sin and is dealing with sin and someday will completely remove sin so then there will be no misery in creation. We'll be in the new heavens and the new earth. The cross is the ultimate example of life not making sense. None of his disciples saw that coming. His own mother didn't even see that coming. None of them saw the Messiah, the Savior, who would come to deliver us and set up his kingdom and free us from our enemies. And none of them saw him as the suffering servant who would go to that cross. He's the one who's supposed to take over. And We've heard His teaching and we've seen His miracles and we know Him to be the Son of God and yet there He is dead. Hope lost. Fear inflated. Hiding in a room because He died and He wasn't supposed to. And then the third day, Resurrection. Unbelievable resurrection. Sudden joy and hope in the midst of it now. New life. Things are starting to make sense again. He is risen. Are you trusting in that risen Savior this morning? Have you come to the end of yourself so that you're not hoping in yourself? You know you can't be good enough. You know you've sinned against Him and fallen short of His glory. Have you received Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? See, that's what verse 20 is showing us we need. There's nobody who's kept God's law, so we're all under condemnation. We all need a Savior, and He's provided one, His own Son. God solved our dilemma through fulfilling all righteousness through His Son. Jesus came and lived in perfect fulfillment of the law, earning a righteous record for us as we come to faith in Him. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and take the wrath we deserve. He went into that grave and just when all hope was lost, He blew the door off of it, not to get out, but so we could see that He was out. And then He appeared to the disciples, freaked them out. And even to more than 500 at one time before He ascended. And He is risen, He is reigning, and He's coming again. What must I do to be saved? 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Own the fact that you have no righteousness. Turn to Him and trust in Him and know that His blood, His sacrifice washes away your sin. His righteousness will then clothe you. Adopted into God's family, justified on the basis of Him, now a child of God who can walk through life with hope even in the midst of trouble. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day and life, eternal life, is found through faith in him. Are you trusting him this morning? I hope you are. If not, repent and trust in Jesus this morning. And follow, follow him in his word. We've just come out of a year filled with a lot of the unexpected, right? Guess what? The next one's got some more of that coming. And the next one. And the next one. And the next one. Until we pass from this life where He returns. But He is for us. He is with us. He is in it with us. And cashing it in to make us like Himself. This world won't always make sense to you, Christian. A few quick applications and I'm done. Even for the Christian, sometimes wickedness seems to win and righteous suffering, the gospel seems stopped. No. N-O. Now, no. K-N-O-W. We live in a fallen world that is under increasing judgment. We live in a fallen world that is under increasing judgment and we will struggle with some of the same struggles that those around us, we just won't do it alone. We'll have hope in the midst of it. So this world won't always make sense to you. Stop expecting it to. Number two, don't depend on your own righteousness or wisdom. Even the best of us are not righteous enough to, de to always deserve blessing. And even the best of us are not smart enough to solve all the mysteries. Believe in, rest in God in His sovereignty. Look to Him in His Word. And He will take you through, not just take you through, but take you through an abundant life that is growing to be more like Christ. So third, look to Christ on the cross always. Always get up every morning looking to the cross, looking to Christ, looking to that sacrifice that was made for you. It'll calibrate the way you think about yourself and everything else. But especially on hard and confusing days, when life doesn't make sense, look to the cross. See, that didn't make sense either. But God was at work in that cross and on that cross, accomplishing the redemption of His people through His Son. And in the right time, it, He was shown to be the true Son of God and Savior of the world through His resurrection. Before you say, I don't deserve this. Before you say, it shouldn't be happening. Look to the cross. And see where Christ has gone for you. And know that He will lead you through. Nothing ever seemed more wrong than that cross. But nothing was ever more right. Walk by faith and not by sight. Faith in that one who hung there for you. And lastly, know that life will not always make sense until we get to the new heavens and the new earth. 
And until then, the gospel is enough. The gospel is enough to settle our hearts, to set our feet in the right place, to give us a desire to fear Him and love Him and serve Him and look to His Word so that we can walk by faith in Him and be on mission for Him and live for Him with joy, even in the midst of trials and even through tears sometimes. See, it's not always true that only the good die young. Although it seems that way sometimes. But the only truly good one did die young. And we have life through trusting in Him. And His Spirit is at work in us to live for Him in this dark and confusing world. Living for His mission and trusting in His promises, both for this life and the one to come. He's not forgotten you. He's not abandoned you. He's not just trying to hurt you. In this world, you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. He's overcome it for you. Love and trust in and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We are weak. We are weak. We're easily distracted. We are spiritually lazy so many times. We just want to be spoon-fed. Help us not be that way. Help us not to overestimate what we deserve. Help us not to quickly give up when life is hard. Help us to know that we don't see how all this works out for good, but you do. And you promise it in your word. For those who love you and are called according to your purpose, you work all things together for good. What is that good? Well, ultimately, it's Christ-likeness. You are making us like our Savior. You are sanctifying us. And you will finish that process. Someday we will think rightly. Always. We will speak rightly always, even to ourselves. We will walk rightly always. But until then, these trials we go through are chisels in your hand, chiseling everything that, away that doesn't look like Jesus. Help us, biblically speaking, to fear you, to love and delight in you. Because of the grace we've received in our Lord and Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is the only righteous person who ever lived. And Lord Jesus, you did it for us. Thank you. Thank you for living for us. Thank you for dying us for us. Thank you for taking our hell upon yourself. Thank you for being raised for us and reigning for us and coming again for us someday. Thank you for the knowledge that when you return, we will be like you. We will see you as you are. Thank you that you're for us and not against us. With us, never to leave us nor forsake us. That when we weep, you weep. When we're persecuted, you're persecuted. That we are in union with you and have hope in you and grow in you every day that you leave us here. Save those who don't know you, Lord. Bring them to faith in Jesus. 
Sanctify those of us who do. Grow us in your grace. And Lord, help us to have a one another mindset as well as a God-centered mindset, but help us to have a one another mindset that we might purposefully encourage and strengthen our brothers and sisters around us, that we might walk through this world arm in arm for the Christ who has loved us so. Lord, we look to you this morning and we pray for your help. We ask it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.